Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Class Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School Class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening. Come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. Revelation chapter 20. So last week we talked about uh, the ball in our court with the gospel being uh, our response to the gospel. Somebody lost a hair clip. Guarantee you that's not mine. Uh, is that true? <laughs> uh, so, the guy, <laughs> I wish I could use a hair clip. <laughs> Uh, so the gospel, we talked about the ball being in our court and our responsibility and the sacrifice that God did and, and the great lengths that God would go to, to redeem fallen man and what an incredible thought that unholy sinners uh, would be saved by the actions of holy God who chose to, to display His love and His justice on the cross. And so in doing that, he has laid the ball in our court to respond to the gospel. And this week, uh, now this, this week the Zika table's over here. I see this is the Zika virus. We've cleaned this one up. So this, uh, this week, we're going to use another sports analogy. And uh, this is going to be uh, a little bit more uh, technical in the way that I could be technical with my limited knowledge. Uh, this is going to be about the end time. So we have received the gospel or we have rejected the gospel. And there is an action, a, a, an effect to that action, to each one of those. And so this week we're going to be looking at the bases being loaded. And we're going to look at the three views of the end times. The three prominent views. Now there are subcategories to each of these. And we don't have time to get into each of them. However, Master of Ceremonies Jim Fleming is going to be teaching later this year uh, through Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology uh, on the end times. And he will be able to pick up so much more. And I hope that you uh, make preparations to be here for those, those weeks that he'll be going through that. So, we're going to begin in Revelation Chapter 20, verses 1 through 15. And we're not going to go, or we're going to read this scripture. We're not going to go verse by verse teaching it because there's no way you can just teach end times theology or eschatology with just one verse. But this is going to be our primary verse that I want to put in your minds as, and, and think about as we study this morning. So, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming... Now, this is the Apostle John, by the way. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and the great chain. 
And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the Word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. (coughs) Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with Him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who had deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, for his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened with another book. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in to the lake of fire. Now, that's some interesting news, right? There's a lot of thousand years reign, and, and what's going on there... But I have some good news. Flip over to chapter 21 if you have to. You may not have to. Chapter 21. And we're going to end the Scriptures here. Verses 1 through 7. Now this is good news. What I'm about to read. John, stranded on the Isle of Patmos. He had been beaten. Saw his friends, the fellow apostles, dead saw many of the early church, those whose names history has forgotten, martyred for the cause of Christ. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, 
and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And He will dwell with them. And they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither mourning nor crying. No more pain. For the former things have all passed away. And He who was seated on the throne... Now think about that. John here on the Isle of Patmos saw so many, the longest living apostle. He had actually been able to mentor the first century church. And those people would impact the second century church and so much of early church history like Polycarp, the great Christian leader. John there stranded. One day he was able to say to his apostles, to his, to his mentorees, these words... Do you ever think that he was, how he felt about these words? Think about this as I read them. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Write these down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. To the thirsty... I will give from the spring the water of life without payment. And one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. Now those are encouraging words. Those are encouraging words for us, the church today. Those are encouraging words for the Christians who are being persecuted in North Korea who cannot have more than three or five in a house church because it would gain the attention of the authorities and they would be killed. It's encouraging words for the Christians who are going through that in Indonesia. It's encouraging words for those who are going through that in the Sudan, who have been put there, who have left their homes here, and they are being persecuted for the gospel, and they're putting their life on the line to spread the gospel to the four corners of the world. And it's encouraging for us who remain and support those individuals to spread the gospel message to the world. And it's important to us as we go into our workplace and to live our lives out that we can say God is on His throne and He has not abdicated. And in the eyes of God, in the mind of God, as He said to John, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. So with that frame of thought, I say we approach a look of the end times. Better known theologically as eschatology. And I will say that um, for me... I am by no means a great theologian at all. In fact, I know no theologian. 
I am not the friend of a theologian. I am not the son of a theologian. But there are some resources that I go to that help me, and this is one of the key areas of doctrine and theology that there are so many views out there from such good people. You know, it's not like somebody saying, well, Christ did not physically raise from the dead. Well, I mean, that's garbage. I can throw that individual out. But you have individuals on all sides of, of this teaching of the end times that are good people. They are good, devout Christians. And I mean, they have impacted my life and my frame of thinking on uh, theology and on doctrine. Many of them are very, very good friends with one another. So if you have a pen, I want you to jot down a couple of resources that I use and not just for this. These are some places that I go when I think of, what about this topic? Wonder what so-and-so thought or wrote or said about this. And here are the different resources. When you go here to these websites, look in the search bar and just type in what you... Like recently, I typed in... um, Well, obviously for this study, the end times, but I typed in um, infant death. I typed that in to John Piper's website, found some good resources on that. Uh, somebody that is going through something like that, uh, what these great thinkers have come to collaborate with one another and come up with. So here's some resources. DesiringGod.com. That is the website of John Piper. What I like about John Piper's website is it's not about John Piper. DesiringGod.org. Sorry, O-R-G. John Piper has on his website a lot of uh, interviews and articles written by other people, some of them disagreeing with his frame of thought, but are Orthodox Christianity. So I really like that. Um, John MacArthur. His site, uh, Grace... What, what is it? Uh, it's Grace to You, but I think it's G-T-Y. GTY.com. Yeah. So John MacArthur has done something extraordinary. He has put all of his sermons, all of his resources on his website for the church to come to. Okay? That is extraordinary. Understand this. He has a commentary set that is one of the most it's one of the most popular and one of the most in-depth commentary sets written in modern times. Those come from his sermons. Okay? He takes his sermons, which are very in-depth, then he modifies them and puts them in that commentary form. He has put not the commentary but the sermons online for free for the church to to access. That is a great, valuable resource for everybody. Another website is uh, 
TGC, uh, the Gospel Coalition. So the Gospel Coalition is a bunch of evangelical Christians getting together and having discussions on different topics anywhere from uh, the atonement to the rapture to the Lord's Supper to baptism, anything. There's all kind of resources you'll find on that website. Uh, and again, it's all different Christians. Uh, TGC dot, I believe it's dot com. Is it? It's okay. TGC dot org. The Gospel Coalition dot org. Those individuals get together. And they 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 are they boy they span. Some of them I don't agree with. Uh, they span the whole spectrum of evangelicalism. Okay, but what you'll have there is a roundtable discussion many times, including articles on on different topics. So you get a good idea, a broad idea of of their view. And also Ligonier Ministries, perhaps the most impactful person on my theology is a Presbyterian by the name of R.C. Sproul, and I am not Presbyterian. I'm not rich enough to be Presbyterian, so I have to be Southern Baptist. But, <laughs> our, and he's a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and I have to pray for him on that. Ligonier Ministries. L-I-G, help me out. Oh, I-O, yeah, I-O. So, he founded that in Ligonier Valley in Pennsylvania where he lived originally. Now he lives in Florida. He is a... He has written the book on the pro-life movement in Christianity. Uh, he has also written two books called Chosen by God and the Holiness of God uh, that were very impactful upon me. Very, very great teacher. Very great teacher. Again, a lot of his resources are online for free. I mean, lecture series that he teaches at seminary. And you can just get in there and look at those same lecture series that pastors and missionaries are learning. So, all of those individuals that I've mentioned span the, the, the spectrum on end times theology. And yet, I, they are impactful upon me personally. So that is very interesting. R.C. Sproul is an all-millennialist. Okay? John MacArthur is a premillennialist. Al Mohler, who was my professor at Southern Seminary, my, my, the president of Southern Seminary, he's kind of a post-millennialist, I believe. He, is, uh, he believes the rapture occurs after the millennium. Uh, and then the coming of Christ. So all of these guys, though, man, they're, I mean, they're great evangelical Christian thinkers and leaders. So I encourage you to go there and try to find these resources. But more than that, more than that, just not just this topic, so many other topics that they cover um, that anywhere from the Christian life, the Christian walk, to deep theological discussions. So that being said, let's dig into the three views. Okay? 
The first view is post-millennialism. Now, the definitions that you have there, I got from Desiring God because I feel like John MacArthur was unfair in defining the three views. I feel like he was unfair in defining the post and amillennialism because he's a, he is a pre-millennialist. Okay? So, he would argue with me, and he's John MacArthur, and he's right, and I'm wrong. But, <laughs> I felt that he was a little unfair. And, to me, as I went around, I thought for an untheologically trained individual, these were the best definitions I found in plain English. They write this, Postmillennialism is defined as the return of Christ happens after or post the thousand year reign, which corresponds to the Christian age and the reign of Christ, whom heaven leads the church from heaven leads the church to triumph by and through the gospel to such an extent that the Great Commission will be successfully fulfilled and the Christian faith will pervade all the cultures of all the nations of men. All Christ's enemies will be subdued in this way with the exception of death, which will he will destroy by his second coming. So what's the Great Commission? Matthew 28. We probably all know if we grew up in church. Go therefore, Jesus is speaking to His disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Post-millennialists believe the world is going to get better because the gospel will go out. And the more people get saved, the more they will live like Christ, and the world will be a better place. Now, who are the major proponents of this? The major supporters come from the Reformed community. John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards here in America, William Carey, a Baptist missionary, and the famous Princeton theologians Charles Hodge, A.A. Hodge, and B.B. Warfield. They believe in post-millennialism. Now think about that. The gospel goes out, and the world gets better because the gospel goes out. And people like John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, William Carey, believe in that. So what was going on in their life that would influence them to think of that? Well, John Calvin and the Reformers, John Knox and others... They were living in a time when Europe said, we are not going to exalt the Pope. We are no longer going to exalt our priest. We are going to exalt the, world, the Word of God. Sola, uh, the, the five solas of the Reformation. The faith, grace, the Word of God to the glory of God alone. So we are, we are going to exalt the Word. And through that, they began spreading the gospel. People, of course, the Great Reformation happened. People left the Catholic Church and began to spread the gospel in a way that had never occurred in, in their lifetime and in the generations, the, a couple of generations prior to them. So, Calvin could see this great revival happening and in his mind could agree with a, a, a thing like post-meal is what we'll say, post-meal because 
the gospel was going forth. What about Jonathan Edwards? Well, Jonathan Edwards was the leader of the Great Awakening here in America. And he saw the revival occur in the youth, which spread from the youth to adults. Jonathan Edwards, would, in a monotone voice with the brim hat like the Puritans used to wear, would, had poor eyesight and would lean over to read his manuscript and the brim of his hat would hit the podium most of the time. And in a monotone voice, he would read his script. Not a very powerful speaker, but people fell under such great conviction. It said that they grabbed hold of the back of the pews and even women and men would grab hold of the pillars in the church for fear they were slipping into hell. I hadn't seen that in a while. These were Puritans, rigid individuals, and yet the gospel was going forth. So to Jonathan Edwards, he could see, well, yes, the gospel is expanding. The same with William Carey, a Baptist missionary, who went to India, took the gospel to India. We don't see India, we see it as far away, but think about when William Carey went there, how far away it would have been. The gospel going throughout the world. And if the gospel goes out and more Christians we have, therefore we should be a better place. And eventually the kingdom of God will be established. So, what about, what about that? What about amillennialism? Which is a side effect, or a subgroup, shall I say, of postmillennialism. Now, amillennialism... Is the, is the view that the return of Christ happens after the thousand-year reign, a reign that occurs in heaven right now, okay, and not upon the earth. Those who have died in faith and entered into the presence of Christ share His rule and reign during the current church age in which we now live. People like St. Augustine believe that. Um, People like J.I. Packer, who is still with us. He actually was friends of St. Augustine, I believe. Uh, J.I. Packer's about, he's in his 90s and uh, is one of the greatest living theologians. R.C. Sproul, who I mentioned, has believed in that. I believe he has uh, left that view and kind of went to a, a side view of all millennialism that is, um, David, help me with this. Preterism? Was it? Um, no, not pre-trib. Uh, what? Yeah, he's a preterist. He's R.C. Sproul, and he can be that. But it it is another application. <laughs> it's another application of all millennialism. No question about it. John MacArthur says. John MacArthur says that no, uh, he says it like this, there is no kingdom on earth ruled by Christ before he gets here, and there is no kingdom on earth ruled by Christ after he gets here. That's how he describes all millennialism. I don't know if I quite agree with that definition with him or not, which is why I, I ne- didn't necessarily go with him to define these. That leads us to premillennialism. Premillennialism. I'll tell you now, I am a premillennialist. Your pastors are premillennialists. Most of you are probably premillennialists. And it is defined like this. The return of Christ happens pre-thousand-year reign, which is, the re- which is a reign of the risen Christ on earth. 
that Christ will reign on this earth. Now, I think you have a handout called Ordo Eschaton. It's Greek. It is not on the menu of the two Greek brothers down here. But it is Greek. John MacArthur did this. Now he is, to me, and me being a premillennialist, he was a great asset in doing what he did here. He spoke at the Shepherds Conference, which is a conference he has at his church in Los Angeles. And he gave a very controversial lecture. Okay, and the lecture was on was on why a Calvinist, which most people that go to his Shepherd's Conference, why they should be premillennialist. Well, he said, here is the order that he sees in Scripture. The rapture, the tribulation, the second coming, the kingdom, final judgment or great white throne judgment, the new heaven and the new earth. The ordo eschaton. Ordo mean Greek for order, eschaton, the final event of the divine plan. So let's go through these real quick. The rapture. It made Tim LaHaye a lot of money. The beginning of the end, the bride of Christ, the church, is collected and brought into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what has to happen for the rapture to occur? Nothing. Nothing. So, the rapture will lead us to the tribulation. The tribulation, it begins at the end of the rapture. Tribulation is a period which God brings horrific judgment on the world. Pretty much from Revelation 6 through 19 is, a, is the tribulation. I want to read that. After the tribulation is the second coming of Christ. When He comes to earth bringing His church. Those who are raptured before the tribulation, we come back with Christ to earth. He destroys the ungodly and He sets up His kingdom. The kingdom, the millennial kingdom, described in Revelation 20, lasts for a thousand years. Remember when we read it this morning? Six times it said a thousand years. So John MacArthur takes that literally and says, hey, a thousand years means a thousand year reign on this earth. We're going to get into post-millennialists and all-millennialists do not agree with that. They believe it's more allegorical. So during the millennial reign, the kingdom... Uh, millennial kingdom, Satan is bound. After a thousand years, he is released. Now, why is he released? Because people will be born during that time and they will reject Christ. And so, there will be a rebellion at the end of the thousand years. Satan will come back. Remember we read earlier, Satan, John said Satan was released after the end, after the end of the thousand year reign. There will be a final rebellion, and Satan and sin will forever be defeated by Christ. Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology. So Jim's going to go through uh, this in his uh, later on this year in systematic theology. 
But the section of the end times, the publisher has pulled out and has published his, its own book called Making, the Future, Making Sense of the Future by Wayne Grudem. And it is essentially that section of systematic theology. I recommend that you just buy the systematic theology book and not just that because why buy a biscuit without the sausage? So Wayne Grudem writes this, several Old Testament passages seem to fit neither in the present, present age nor in the eternal state. These passages indicate some future stage in history of redemption which is far greater than the present church but which still does not see the removal of all sin and rebellion and death from the earth. Wayne Grudem's a premillennialist, by the way. So, then we come to the great white throne judgment, final judgment. At the end of the millennial kingdom is the great white throne judgment. This is the final judgment of all the ungodly who are raised from the dead and brought before the great white throne of God. Here is the final sentence is rendered, and they are sent forever into the lake of fire. And then there is the new heaven and the new earth. After the final judgment, the universe as we know it is uncreated, and God creates a heaven and earth. Now, look at that layout of the book of Revelation. You see everything that we just went through and the chapters coinciding with those. Chapters 2 and 3... You see the church on earth and the present, the present church age. In 4 and 5, you see the church worshiping in heaven. How did they get there? That's the question that's asked by premillennialist and pre-trib, pre-tribulation rapture individuals like myself, like John MacArthur. I'm sure John MacArthur is not a premillennialist, pre-tribulation rapture because George Jackson is, but he agrees. He and I hold the same view. How did they get there? some point the church had to leave the earth to get there. Like I have to leave here and go eat after the sermon this morning. It, um, the, the chapter 6, the judgments on earth begin. They go all the way through chapter 19. And then chapter 19 and 20 is the return of Christ and the initiating of His kingdom. And then in chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, we see that great white throne judgment. And then the new heaven and the new earth is created in chapter 21. So, that is premillennialism. So, Christ's second coming. Where do these theories, where are they the same? Second coming of Christ. They all believe that we will be united, that Christ will unite with the church. Christ will be reunited with the church. What are the differences? What are the major differences? John MacArthur says this, and this is where I agree with him, and this is one reason why I'm a premillennialist. We fight sometimes tooth and nail to maintain the literal veracity of Genesis 1 through 3. Why then, if we are so committed to protecting the text of the beginning in its literal nature, are we so fast to give up the text of the end in, in their literal, literal nature. So over here we say, no, it was, you know, creation's like this. But then over here, 
post-millennialist and all millennials say, well, that's allegorical. Well, then why can't this be allegorical? So that was, and I used to be a post-millennialist, and that's where I got hung up at uh, when I began doing even more research. So the millennial reign, Revelation 20, is occurring now. It's occurring now according to post-millennialist and all millennialists. The church age is happening. It is the reign. So the Great Commission is being fulfilled. Yes, that's very true. We're making disciples of all the nations. Okay? My hang-up is, if we're doing that, why has this age not ended? Because we've been doing that. Post-millennials believe things in the earth will get better. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't think it's going to get better. Uh, you know, I turned on NBC Nightly News and it didn't look like it was getting better. Wolf Blitzer on CNN didn't tell me it was getting better. Now, all millennials, they counter that and they say, well, we believe that the, the reign is now, the kingdom is now, but things are going to get worse and then Christ is coming and we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth immediately. Like that. Well, that's a very clean view. It cleans up a lot of things, but to get to that view, you have to do away with a lot of Scripture. And that's my hang-up. Why do we want to do away with the Scripture? Why do we want to just claim, well, you know, look, if it's allegorical, it's a lot easier for us to understand. So for the premillennials, the millennial reign has not begun. It begins after the rapture. The world will get worse, and Christ will rapture His church out of the world. And then premillennials believe the literal thousand-year reign after the church has left the world and Christ has returned. Revelation chapter 20, six times, says that. So let me, let me start ending by this. I'll have to carry on some of this next week. Charles Spurgeon says this. If I read the word of right, who says it right anymore, right? If I read the word of right, it is honest to admit that there is much room for difference of opinion here. The day will come, though, when the Lord Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout, and the trumpet of the archangel and the voice of God. Some think that this descent of the Lord is a post-millennial descent. That is, after the thousand years of reign. I cannot think so. I conceive that the advent will be premillennial, that He will come first, and then will come the millennium as the result of His personal reign upon earth. But... Whether or no, this much is the fact that Christ will suddenly come. Come to reign and come to judge the earth in righteousness. So keep your um, forms, uh, your uh, handouts. I'm here next week and we can continue this next week. And I will add a little bit of what I was going to teach next week on the church, which this will roll into the church because we are in the church age. All right, so let's lean in and look for our, your weekly updates. Make sure you've recorded your attendance and any prayer requests. And pray with your table and we will be dismissed.